Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Well, if you'll take your Bible, please, and turn with me to 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Who do you want to be like? It's amazing to think of all the time and energy that's spent trying to be someone we're not. The job we have, the clothes we wear, the way we live, all are often hinged on keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. An intense desire for unconditional acceptance by another drives us to do things They're not only foolish, but often sinful. The Israelites were right there. They were desiring to be not the nation that was the Lord's, but a nation like all the other nations. So what we're going to do today is take some time and delve into chapter 8 here. And this will be the last of the series of 1 Samuel as it relates to Samuel, a man who heard from God. In the summer, we're going to take a break and go into the Psalms, and then we're going to come back in August, and we're going to start focusing. Samuel will still be there, but the focus turns to Saul, the man who ran from God. And then when we're done with that, we're going to have two sections on David, the man after God's own heart. So that's the way our series is going to go. I hope you've enjoyed it and have been reading Samuel, and will continue to do so. So the first thing I want to talk about is the sins of Samuel. Let's read here chapter 8 and verse number 1 to 3. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abihah. I'm sure I said that wrong, but we're just going to go with it. Or Abby. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, I'm not sure why this passage starts out with the phrase that Samuel was old. It may be because he, as a result of that, didn't realize perhaps what was going on. Perhaps that's the reason behind it. Maybe it was to give an explanation of the decisions and the direction he was going. But we know that he was old. How old? Not exactly sure. There's different scholars say different things. But he was getting more difficult in order to do the calling that he had. Now, find some interesting things here that I think that we want to make note of. So while I'm kind of introing it, I want you guys to turn in your Bibles over to Deuteronomy 18. Keep your finger here or a piece of paper. Turn over to Deuteronomy 18, because we're going to be in Deuteronomy 18, and I want to share a couple things in particular there. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 18. So what happened there was we see in this passage here that Samuel, who was a judge, decided that he was going to put his sons in as judges. Now, now when I read that, immediately it jumped out to me. I thought, now wait a minute here. When I think about the judges, I don't remember ever a parent deciding that one of his children were going to be the judges. Well, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and verse number 18, this is what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 18 and verse number 18. He says, I'll raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them what I command him. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong passage. Chapter 16, verse 18. You know, you get one of those, you read it, you write it ahead of time. I look up these verses, and then you go back. How did I get here? So, fortunately, it doesn't take long to read. And uh, I heard a friend of mine one time, he was preaching, and he'd go, and I'm reading the passage. It's not going, and he just kept going. And afterwards, I'm like, that doesn't sound like it went with you. He goes, yeah, I know, but I couldn't remember where the other one was, so I just kept going. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to try never to do that, but 
Deuteronomy 16 and verse number 18. Now, listen, this is in Deuteronomy, the laid out what, the, the way that the Israelites were supposed to be judge, uh, ruling their, their culture and their communities. It says this, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. So now wait a minute here. So we see that Samuel says that he appointed his sons to be judges. And they were in Beersheba. Now Beersheba was about 60 miles south of where Ramah was, which was where Samuel was at. I'm not sure why he sent his son 60 miles either. Maybe that was his way. Give him a job and get him out of town. Not quite sure. It doesn't say here. 60 miles. Now remember, 60 miles in biblical times was a whole lot different than 60 miles today. 60 miles today you can get to in an hour if you drive the speed limit. If you drive over the speed limit or under, you're going to still be right around that time frame. Them, they had donkey power or foot power or possibly chariot power, but a whole lot longer to get places. And his two sons are down there. He should have never, though, appointed his sons to be judges. That wasn't his job or his responsibility or his privilege to be able to do that. The Bible clearly laid out the way they were supposed to do it is the people were supposed to gather together and the leadership, the elders, appoint the judges and officers in the town so that they could judge the people according to God's laws. Now, why did Samuel do that? We don't know. But I do have a speculation. Samuel definitely was a man that served God and had a heart for God. But I wonder if he got to a point where he, like Moses, got to seeing God work so much and you actually see as we read here God talking to Samuel did Samuel think that he was a little bit better or a little bigger than maybe he really was supposed to be? And he puts his sons. Now, it's interesting. You read the names of his sons. Joel is the name of one son, and his name means the Lord is God. His brother, Abiha, says his name means my father is the Lord. So both individuals, you can at least see that the thinking behind it was they wanted to have guys. He wanted to have sons who were making God the center of their lives. Good intentions brought them up, I'm sure, in the way the best he could, seeing what Eli had happened with Hophni and Phinehas, and somewhere along the line, his sons chose to reject that. They didn't follow in the way of their dad. Now, all of us that are parents here will understand that the choices our children eventually take can be difficult. We pray they'll come back to God, but there comes that point in time where we can't control them anymore. It's hard. You coach them rather than command them. And any parent that's here of an adult children or semi-adult children knows the heartache when you just wish, I wish they were four years old again where I could just make them do that. No, you are going to bed because I'm bigger than you. It's hard. I'm sure that bothered Samuel. Why didn't he deal with them like Eli chose not to deal with Hophni and Phinehas? Or perhaps he tried to. But I think it's interesting again, if you look at what the Bible says in the same passage here about... Um, the way that things were supposed to happen. So let's continue reading. We read in verse number 18. Let's go to verse number 19. You shall not pervert justice. Now, wait a minute. What did Samuel 8 say? Let's read that again. Last part of verse 3. They took bribes and perverted justice. Exact same phrase, exact same in the Hebrew as it is here. Stands out to us, doesn't it? They weren't supposed to do that as judges. So first of all, they shouldn't have been judges. Secondly, they should not have been perverting justice or taking bribes. Now maybe they even thought, hey, well, we're doing better than Hophni and Phinehas. At least we're not having sex in the temple. At least we're not taking advantage of the women there. At least we're not. No, sin is sin. They perverted justice. And it says as we continue on there, um, you shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. 
Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. See, God had a plan. And Samuel, who was a great man of God, sinned in putting his sons in the position that they shouldn't have been in. They obviously affected the people because of that choice that they made, and they didn't follow the legacy that he had hoped to have. Now, you know what's interesting how this ties into chapter 7 about speaking truth. Samuel should have spoke truth to his sons. You can't do this. Brought the hammer down. You can't be judges if you're doing this. You are violating the law that God set up for all of us. Remember how we talked about the Israelites popping open the top of the Ark of the Covenant when they got it back from the Philistines and God struck them dead. God's got these plans, these laws, these commands that he lays out. Folks, we can't just decide that we're going to pick and choose which ones we're going to obey. That's a theme we've seen over and over and over and over and over again. So why do we think in modern-day America and the culture that we are that we are the exception for God's commands? Oh, well, I know that we're not supposed to lie, but that was a little lie. I like the way we use the word white lie, as if that's somehow palatable. It's okay if I do this or I do that. Because I'm the exception. And over and over again, think of all these stories in the Bible of people that thought they could do it their own way. Abraham and Sarah. But God, if I tell them she's my wife, he'll kill me. And God's saying, are you kidding me? I've taken care of you all this time. You think I'm going to drop the ball now? And there was repercussions negatively as a result of it, including his reputation and testimony. What about Ananias and Sapphira? They didn't have to say this is all the money. They could have said, hey, we're giving you a portion of this property we sold. But they had to go over the line and go, man, aren't we great? We're giving you everything. Boom, they're dead. Whew, that's harsh. God lays down his principles. What about Achan? I just took one garment and a little bit of gold and silver. What's the big deal? And God had him and his whole family stoned. God has a very strong view of sin, and if we think that we are the exception, you have been fooled and deceived by the devil. In God's word, one plus one always equals two. And God has a plan and a purpose that he lays out clearly in his word, and we've got to stop spiritually taking our markers and marking out the stuff that we just don't want to do or maybe even the stuff that we should be doing that we're trying to justify, but everybody but me. Because, Pastor John, you don't know how busy my schedule is. You don't know how stressful my job is. You don't know how bad my spouse is. So I should be different than everybody else. But God lays out, as we mentioned before, God put this church together. God expects all of us to serve in this church together. God expects us to financially give in this church God expects us to give grace to each other. God expects us to be discipling and to be discipled. It's all in the pages of Scripture. God expects baptism to follow salvation. It's not Pastor John and the elders of UPCC that came up for that. So let's stop thinking we're the exceptions because Samuel, this great man of God, made these exceptions that were not allowable and the devil used it in the whole nation of Israel. So what do we see happens next? If you'll continue to follow along with me to verse number four, we see that there's a request that's made by the elders. It helps if I don't try to read that in Deuteronomy 16, so I'll turn as well. Deuteronomy 16 is not where we're at. We are in Samuel, 1 Samuel, in chapter 8 and verse 4. So then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, 
Behold, you're old. Isn't that a great way to start out one? You know, really butter them up. Hey, buddy, you're old. Sorry, you're old. You know, what else am I supposed to say? You're old. And this part's got to really strike to his heart. And your sons don't walk in your ways. Man, as a parent, when your child's not doing what you know God wants them to do, whew, that strikes at the heart. Your kids aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. So what's the solution they come up with? Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Set up a king to judge us like all the nations. You know, it's interesting how this wasn't the real reason. We're going to find out later. These were the elders of the tribes of Israel. This was Samuel, their judge. They should have been able to have an honest discourse about the real situation. But you know why they didn't want to do it? Because they knew their reason wasn't valid. It wasn't God's plan. So instead, they come up with their own. They come up with an excuse. They come up with something that sounds reasonable. And even a little cutting as they go, and by the way, Samuel, your kids aren't doing the right thing. You're old and your kids aren't doing the right thing. You're washed up, Samuel. You're out of commission. It's time that we get a king, Samuel. Because if you were a little younger and your kids were doing the right thing, maybe we wouldn't be at this point. That was a bold-faced lie by them. That wasn't their reason behind it. Folks, we have to, have to, have to speak truth to each other. That's the only way we do relationships the way God wants us to. You don't run, you don't hide, you do truth. God sets up kings, not man. If, you still, if you're not there, well, in fact, I'll just turn back there real quick. Deuteronomy, if you want to write this down, though, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 4 think it's interesting here. You know, God intended for Israel to have a king. That was his plan. But look at the way he lays it out. We'll start in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 18. See, I did have Deuteronomy 18 for a reason, just in the wrong spot before. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. That's about what's supposed to go with the Levites. Then the priests, verse 3, and, and this shall the priests do from the people, from those offerings, a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest or the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of the grain and your wine and of your oil and your first fleece of your sheep, and you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him of all of his tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord with him and his sons. And then it says in verse number 6, and if a Levite comes from any of your towns, out of all of Israel where he lives, and he may come when he desires to the place that the Lord will choose and ministers in the name of his Lord, like all his fellow Levites who stand and minister there before the Lord, then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of the patrimony. And God laid out there, you see, for the Levitical priests, and you see how they laid out there also, I'm sorry, for the Levites and also for the priests, the way that they were supposed to be taken care of. God set up those roles as the ones that were supposed to be the spiritual rulers, of things. They were supposed to be the ones that were supposed to be the followers of things. So we continue on. Um, let me see here. Verse number, let me go back here. Oh, and, then it's, and then it starts in verse number, let me see. I just lost my place. I'm sorry, can't find it. 
But his plan was to set up those, those rulers, those individuals, to be able to get the way that God had a plan for that. God said, here's the way we're supposed to take care of the priests. They don't have property, they don't have land, but you take care of them. Here's the way we take care of the Levites. Here's the things they're supposed to have. They're there then to spiritually encourage and to be a part of things. God's the one that establishes the kings. God's the one that established the judges. He's the one that put out those rulers in the way that he had a plan to do things. But, the, but that wasn't the reason that was behind that the elders came to him and said, we want to have this king. So what does Samuel do as a result of that? In verse number six, he does this. It says in verse number six, but the thing displeased Samuel. Well, yeah, you said he was old and you said that he wasn't able to, his children weren't following the Lord. So he was displeased when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt into this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also doing so they are also doing to you. Listen to this verse. Now then obey their voice, and only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel obviously personally hurt, and God says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Because I had a plan to establish a king, but it wasn't yet. And I'm the one that raises up kings, just like I raised up the Levites and the priests to rule over and be your spiritual guides, I'm the one that'll raise up a king. But they've rejected that. You know why, Samuel? He lays it out really clearly there. He says, along the way, they've rejected me. They've done since I brought them out of Egypt to this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're doing to you also. Samuel, this is their track record. Whenever they get to a point where they want their way and they reject me, they always think something else is the answer. And now they think a king's the answer instead of the judge. They don't like the things you've laid out, so if a king comes in, things will change. So they really haven't rejected you as a judge, they've rejected me as being enough for them, as being the one that they're willing to follow. If your heart is set on God, you will make godly choices. But when your heart's set on self, you will make selfish choices. In their heart, the elders, the leaders that should have known better, their heart was set on themselves. This is what we want. Then we see in verses 10 through 18, I'm not going to read all those, but in through 10 and 18, you lay out all the things that Samuel said was going to happen from God if they, once they had a king. He's going to take your property. You already give 10% to the temple. You're going to have to give 10% to the king. He's going to take your children to be in his army. They're going to be his servants. He's going to take part of the portion of the best fields and the cities. They're all going to become the kings. You guys realize he's in charge now, not you guys. <clears throat> I, as a judge, go around. I deal with your political situations. I guide you. I direct you on things. <clears throat> this king... He's in charge of things. He can have you executed. He can make sure you're enslaved, so to speak. Are you really sure that you want this king? This is the consequence of your choice. Are you really willing to take it? And then he says, let's just read verse 18. <clears throat> and in that day you'll cry out, this is when they've realized how hard it can be to serve an earthly king. 
because of your king, whom, whom, listen to that phrase, whom you have not chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Guys, once you start down this path, this is the way it's going to be. I have a Bible study that I get together with some men in the church. We just finished up Second Chronicles. Wow, how true this is. Most of those kings did not serve God and led the people in abominable practices. There's a few, and that was the sad thing. We'd be reading along and go, hey, we finally found a good king. But that was the majority of them. The Bible says, and we don't have time in Deuteronomy, that kings aren't really supposed to even have lots of horses. Kings are supposed to make sure that they give themselves to the Lord, that they know that they're answering to God in the responsibility that they have. So there was a consequence for the request. The last thing we see in this section is the confirmation by the Israelites. What do they say in verse number 19? But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And you and I sit there and go, you guys are knuckleheads. I mean, he just told you how bad this is going to be. How could you possibly think it's a good idea then to do this? And then we look at our lives. How many times has God made it clear what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do? And we think, but not me, God. Pastor John, you're back to the exceptions. Yes, I am. <laughs> we like to look for those loopholes. God's word is not a tax code. That we try to find the areas, oh, well, I don't have to do this. I'm going to share a secret with you. If you'll embrace God's plan, you are going to have the most amazing life on the face of the earth. But if you decide that you can rewrite scripture and do it your way, you are going to be miserable. God put his word together, not so he could go, oh man, how can I drive those humans crazy? I know, I'll tell them to love their enemies. Man, that's a good one. He laid it all out because he wanted us to have the most amazing life we could ever experience as human beings. But we are knuckleheads and we go around going, well, he didn't really. And it started way back, Adam and Eve. We can't eat. Are you sure we can't eat from every tree? I mean, come on, we can re-eat from 2,022 trees, but what about this one? Tell any child, put a toy, put five toys down, and say, you guys can play with these four, but not this one. Which one are they going to go to? That one. And we go, you knuckleheaded kids, and then God's, yeah, you knuckleheaded humans. You knuckleheaded Christians. Folks, would you evaluate your life? Would you look at where you think there's a loophole that you're trying to live in? I'd love my husband if he would. I'd love my wife if she would. I'd love this church if they would. Lord, you understand how much I need. Lord, but if it follows Scripture, you're fine. But when you find yourselves making excuses and having to cut and paste Scripture, you're in big trouble. And the problem is one choice leads to another choice leads to another choice. And before you know it, you never, you don't understand how you got so far away. I think these elders really thought in their minds that they had justified that this was a good choice. Because why? Well, let's read what it says next. Verse 19. And they said, 
No, but there shall be a king over us. 20 is a key verse. Highlight it, underline it. That we also may be like all the nations. There's the real reason. It wasn't that Samuel was old. It wasn't that his kids weren't serving the Lord. They looked at all the other nations who worshipped pagan gods, who sacrificed their children, who as a part of their worship had sex with prostitutes, who gave their best to these false idols that couldn't talk or move. They looked at them and said, we want to be like them. Christian, do you sit here today saying, I really want to be like the unsaved world? God's, I'm missing out. God's holding out on me. Folks, that's a huge lie by the devil. And they finally come true with it and go, we want to be like all the other nations. The saddest situation, which I've said many times, for a Christian is to be apathetic. You know why we're apathetic usually? Because we look around and we think that we're missing out on something. David said it all over again. Lord, how come it rains on the unrighteous and, and the, the righteous suffer? Because the devil could care less about the unsaved. Let them be wonderful. Let them have fantastic marriages. Let them make money. Let them give it to charities. Let them be the most wonderful people in the world because when they die, they're going to hell. But if he can take out the Christians and make them be hypocritical and be the worst of the worst when it comes to testimony for Christ, he knows the impact that has on the body and on the world. He's not stupid. So folks, again, I implore you, stop looking for the loopholes. Look for how you can be obedient completely to what God says. Completely to what he says. We want to be like everyone else. But they weren't. They were a chosen people. They were God's chosen people. They had God as their ruler and commander. They had God who brought them across the Red Sea. They had God that took care of them in their difficulties. They had God that watched over them and protected them. And they wanted to be like all the other ones that didn't even no, God. Remember the Philistines? God showed them over and over again, accept me. And instead, they rejected him. Please accept him and be obedient to him. Verse 20 is a sad, sad verse. And it wraps up <clears throat> the passage, wraps up, and our last point is the request is granted. He says in verse 20 again, that we can be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. What a jab to God. Who fought their battles? Who just conquered the Philistines with noise? Jehovah God. You want a king, a measly human king, to fight your battles. Really? And yet we think in our own strength that we can handle our lives. The request is granted. Verse 21. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. And we're going to see the kind of king that they get, which will fit their profile 
of the best. And later on, we'll see God's choice of a king when Saul is no longer on the scene. I have a few additional takeaways. So my question again is, who do you want to be like? Do you really want to be like the world around us? Do you really want to be like your coworkers? Or do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be proud that you are a redeemed child of God? Do you want to have that confidence that no matter what happens on this planet, when you die, your eyes will be opened and you'll see Jesus face to face? Why not embrace his plan for church and for serving and for disciple-making and, and sharing the gospel with people? Embrace his plan. Embrace God's plan. Number two, accept God's authority. I know we hate authority. But remember, just like a parent for their child, we don't tell our kids not to run on the street because we are being mean. We do it because we love them. Why don't you accept God's authority? The third thing, think through your decisions. What you do today will lead somewhere. So think through them. The Bible says it's better to think at the end of a matter than at the beginning. Where is this going to lead me? If I'm going to decide to make this choice where I'm going to make my life all about pleasure, I'm going to make my life all about, you know, whatever it might be. Remember, what do those choices bring you? Are they going to draw you away from the church? Are they going to draw you away from Christians? Are they going to draw you away from God? Then it's not a good choice. Fourth, accept your consequences. I'm weary of people who just choose to disobey God and then come back and go, Pastor John, why is this happening? You didn't obey it. Now, here's the beautiful thing. You accept your consequences, then repent and go back to God, and he'll always receive you. And that's my last point. Be grateful for God's mercy. I do not, and you do not deserve to even be here today. We have a merciful God. One of my favorite verses is that his mercies are new every day. I'm so grateful for that because I know how much I mess up and choke. So when the devil tries to get you discouraged, go back and just go, thank you, God, for your mercy. Now show me what you want me to do today. Show me how I can follow you. Show me how I can be your child. Let's pray. Father, you're an amazingly good God. Lord, help us as a people to realize that you have an amazing life if we'll just embrace your word. We'll stop thinking of looking for loopholes or pointing fingers, God, and sit down and use your word as a mirror and look into our souls and see what we need to do to be obedient. Lord, I love this flock, and I'm privileged to be able to be in the role you've given me. And Lord, my heart aches for those that are rejecting your plan. And I just pray, God, that today would be a day where they'd be willing to stop making excuses. And I thank, Lord, of those that are saying, you're right, Pastor John, please Help me, pray for me that I would continue to be a person that delves in the word. I want the word of God to transform my life. I want to be his child and be sanctified in my following of him, Father. I pray that you'll encourage them today. I pray that if there's one here that doesn't have that hope, that today would be the hope, the day that their hope could come to reality, that they would receive you as Savior. Thank you, Lord, again for this time we've had. In your precious name, amen.